Hello and welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host. We have a very special show joined by Joe Chung. He's back with us this week. And Leslie Harvey from Trips with Tykes is here as well. We're going to talk all about Disney World in late 2021 going into 2022 because so much has changed. Leslie, thanks for, uh, for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to see you all. Yeah, it's great to see you again. I haven't uh, talked to you in in a while, and we were just talking about the last time that we saw each other in person was at Disneyland for the opening of Galaxy's Edge in 2019. What a different world it was back then. A lifetime ago, it seems. I mean, (laughs) wow, how things have changed. Yeah, definitely. And it's good to have Joe back. Uh, Joe was gone last week uh, while we talked to Richard Kerr, and uh, Mark is off this week, so uh, nobody to make uh, terrible jokes and laugh, Joe, so that's your department. I'll do my best uh, to bring the dad jokes. Oh, we should also say, in case people don't know, uh, Leslie and I also host a podcast, Disney Deciphered, um, which I think is partially why we're here. Right, Sean? Yeah, we are going to talk all about uh, Disney, and you guys are the Disney experts. Leslie knows both coasts, but she's really uh, specializes in Disneyland. And Joe, I know that you just did 80,000 steps over three days at Walt Disney World to uh, get caught up on all the changes there. So I'm looking forward to speaking to both of you. Couldn't have thought of two better people to talk Disney with. Yeah, my knees are still sore. And yeah, I was there for less than 48 hours. I would say that the 80,000 steps, a lot of it was purposely being inefficient because I was just kind of wandering around the parks to just kind of take things in. I wasn't like taking the most efficient pass between things. But yeah, I it's been three days since uh, I got back. And yeah, my knees are still feeling it. So we're creaky and old, or I am at least. Yeah, nothing makes you feel old like walking uh, 40,000 steps in a day at Disney World. Uh, it'll show you right where you are in life. Uh, I've done that. Can't wait to talk about it. You know, for people who are listening, this is obviously a Miles and Points show. This isn't our Disney show. So we're going to talk more about, uh, for people who are into travel hacking, trying to to plan their next Disney trip. So much has changed. So we're going to kind of cover it from that perspective and try to give you a- an episode where you can kind of listen and be caught up with what Disney is on these days. Before we get into the show, just as a reminder, if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe in whatever podcast app you're listening to it in. And if you need more links, uh, head to mtmpodcast.com. If you want to dive in deeper into the world of miles and points, we do have our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash miles to memories, where uh, $15 a month gets you access to our private Facebook, Discord, meetups, weekly content, all kinds of good stuff over there patreon.com forward slash miles to memories. Let's get into the show. We have so much to talk about and uh, I'm I'm really excited to, to talk to you guys about this. And like Sean was saying, this is a Miles and Points show and Sean and I were talking about whether we should even do this episode, but we, it's like, if you have a family, if you have kids, let me put it this way, even Ian Snyder, the biggest Disney hater on all of Miles to Memories has taken his kids to Disneyland. So The way we think about it is maybe you're not interested in Disney World or Disneyland right now, but at some point in your life, you know, it is the one tourist destination that most Americans go to if you're in America listening to this. So, you know, bookmark this episode, come back to it if you're not interested in it now, but hopefully we'll have a lot of interesting information for you uh, for that time that you do plan that one trip. Because I think in the miles and points world, people go to Disney, I don't know, Sean, they go sort of just because they have to as an obligation for their kids or for, I don't know, a Miles to Memories Patreon meetup or something like that. And you still got to know how to kind of hack it or uh, at least you got to know what you're doing when you're getting there to make the most out of it. Yeah, it's a good point. We are having our meetup in just a couple weeks in Epcot. We're doing drinking around the world with our Patreon people. So it's going to be a lot of fun, a very sort of different approach to Disney. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And 
it's always nice to to force Ian to go to Disney. He's going to be at Disney World too. So somebody as hates Disney as much as him still should figure out how to uh, to maximize it. And, it's like uh, Ian in Las Vegas. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There are a lot of people in the Miles and Points hobby who you know love to hate Disney, but thankfully the three of us have figured out what it all what it's all about. Right. The places talk to us. Right, uh, Leslie. Disneyland. When you walk in, it just speaks to you. It does. There's a lot of history there, and I think a lot of people hate it because they haven't been. And there are things to be had and experienced by a lot of different kinds of travelers. I mean, I always say, like, one of my most vivid memories as a child was walking into World Showcase at Epcot and looking around at every country pavilion and thinking. I want to go to each of those places. My, my grandparents were world travelers, so I sort of had some context for what these countries were. So it inspired a lot of other travel in me, and, and I think there's a lot of good at Disney, even for the cynics out there. Yeah, and there are a lot of cynics, and even within the fan communities, there's a lot of people upset with all the changes and you know how complicated this has been, which is one of the reasons we're recording this episode. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's not all roses, but uh, there is a lot to... There's a lot to like about these parks and, you know, the people who criticize people who go to Disney as adults saying, you know, you're just living in a fantasy world or whatever. I say, you know, what's wrong with that? We all have jobs, families, real life. Sometimes it's nice to just walk through the gates of Disney and enjoy yourself and just be a kid again. And that's what it does for me. And I'm really glad that uh, I have this this fandom and this place to go, even though the planning drives me absolutely nuts, Leslie. It just drives me absolutely nuts. And it's gotten only worse. I mean, especially on the West Coast, it used to be like Disneyland. You could just kind of go for the day on a whim. And that's not the case. I mean, Disney World's always been high planning and Disneyland is now joining that. And and then all the rules have changed. So even if you thought you knew what you needed to do to plan a Disney vacation, the slate has been wiped completely clean in 2021 and, and going forward and whole new set of rules to learn. Yeah, but let's not kid ourselves. Okay, we're all type A kind of people. We hate all the planning, but we also love it. Like a deep, dark part of us, you know, we love all this crazy planning that we have to do for Disney World. Don't shake your head, Sean. I, I like, I, I mean, I like knowing some of the hacks and ways to like, you know, you know, get more rides, things like that. But I don't like planning. I like to just show up and uh, be more flexible. I don't want to know what park I have to go to six months ahead of time. Or now, I mean, things have changed in some ways for the better, right? At Walt Disney World. I didn't prefer the old system either. Um, for me, it was really a nightmare. Because um, I would like to, to go last minute and, you know, it'd be hard to get fast passes and all of that. But we'll get into that. I wanted to start by talking about Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary. I remember when Disneyland turned 50 and it was sort of a magical time, you know, in 2005. Uh, they It had gone through many years of sort of neglect and they did a lot to freshen it up and make it nice. And it was really just a very special celebration. And Walt Disney World's kind of stumbling into its 50th anniversary uh, which just happened October 1st, um, the Magic Kingdom turned 50, because so much uncertainty was around their planning, and a lot of stuff seemingly that they had planned for the 50th anniversary didn't happen, and a lot of rides that they've had under construction haven't opened. But how is it, Joe? How is the 50th anniversary going? I mean, they're, you know, at a month, month and a half in, we have, what, new rides, new shows. What's going on at Walt Disney World for the 50th anniversary, and how long is that going to be happening? Yeah, so in typical Disney fashion, they're going to be celebrating their 50th birthday. I mean, they're kind of like my four-year-old who tries to celebrate her birthday for 300 days of the year. Disney World is going to be celebrating its 50th anniversary until spring of 2023. So technically, the birthday was October 1st, 2021, but 
you know, this 50th anniversary stuff is going to be there till 2023. So I'll start with kind of the stuff that Leslie and I in general don't really care about too much. There's this whole kind of blue slash purple motif. Uh, they call it iridescent, E-A-R. I'm rolling my eyes. This is not a video podcast, but uh, that's what I'm doing. And so, you know, Mickey and Minnie are dressed in that. A lot of the characters' costumes are in that color. The castle has been painted pink, but that pink goes along with that blue and purple. So these are all kind of the visual embellishments that Disney has done to signify that it's their 50th, which, I mean, it's nice and all. But like I said, Leslie and I aren't too big into those things. Now, what we are big into is they have brought some new attractions, one of which is already open now, Leslie. Sure. Remy's Ratatouille Adventure has opened in Epcot in the France Pavilion. And this is a recreation of the ride that's already at Disneyland Paris. And so it's, you know, not new to, I guess, the true Disney fandom. I'm sure you have been on it before, Sean. I haven't been to to Paris. But yeah, I mean, it really is a, a nice addition to Epcot. Epcot doesn't have enough rides. And a lot of the rides it does have are still you know, throwbacky ones that Joe and I, being the Epcot geeks that we are, we love them, but a lot of infrequent Disney guests find them a little dated and bizarre and weird. So this is like a mainstream dark ride attraction. It's a trackless vehicle, the same technology that's in Mystic Manor and Rise of the Resistance to make the ride really smooth and be able to ride off of a track. So uh, getting solid reviews, I think it just fills a hole that really needed to be filled. Yeah, and this is like not a top line attraction like Rise of the Resistance, right? It's more what Disney calls a D ticket. So it's, you know, not their their biggest, most headliney ride, but to your point, it fills out that ride lineup in a way that they really need it in the world showcase part of the park. Because people who have been to Epcot know that park is so big. And once you get to the World Showcase, there's just not a whole lot going on, especially if you don't like shows and stuff like that. And uh, a couple years ago they they redid Maelstrom, which is in the Norway Pavilion to Frozen. Um and then they're they're adding this and that's I think a really good addition. It's not my favorite ride in the world. When they added it to Paris, they added it basically as a headline attraction, and they sold it as an e-ticket as one of those premier rides, and it was a little bit of a disappointment there, but I think it fits perfectly in uh, in Epcot, and that little expansion to the France Pavilion looks beautiful. Have you guys tried the crepes there? I did not. I really wanted to, but just kind of the way that my schedule worked out, and there wasn't even that long of a line when I was there, but I was planning to overeat for lunch, which uh, Leslie and I discussed about on an episode that's going to be upcoming. No one needs to know about my um, bad eating decisions, but I knew I was going to overeat, so I didn't want to eat at the France Pavilion before. Now, Sean, you've been to the Remy's Ratatouille Pavilion in France itself in Disneyland Paris. I would say I was telling Leslie, I think it felt a little bit smaller to me in Florida and so I, I thought it was missing a little bit because of that, but still, um, it is really cute back there. It's a it's a really nice area to hang out, and it's not that busy just because most of the queue for the ride is inside. So you can kind of just lounge around there as if you're in like a park in France or something like that, which was nice. You know, everything is a slight approximation of what the real thing is like, and I think they did a good job in France with the new attraction. Yeah, I did see it uh, last time I was there. I saw it pretty close to finished on the outside, the little France area. I like it. I always like those little out-of-the-way areas in Epcot, especially in World Showcase, like the maze in the in the UK pavilion, um, some of those little back out-of-the-way areas. And this new France area is sort of built sort of behind the old uh, the old pavilion. And I think, yeah, I think it's a, it looks like a really nice area to do it. In France, yeah, it's a little bit more robust, uh, a little bit more open. They also have the, the full-service restaurant there in France. 
uh, that they don't have in in Florida. But um, th- I've heard great things about the creperie, so I, I had to to ask about that. But there are other new rides that are on the horizon for the 50th anniversary rides that were probably supposed to open before now that have been delayed. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. We were supposed to get two e-ticket attractions, I think, in time for the 50th until, of course, COVID derailed construction and all of that. We were supposed to get Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind in Epcot, which is a new coaster over in I guess it used to be called Future World. I can't remember what the new names are for the areas in Future World and Epcot. And then we were going to get Tron Light Cycles in Magic Kingdom. So as of right now, we know Cosmic Rewind is coming in 2022. And we don't have a firm date yet for Tron. But I think they're probably scrambling to get that ready in time to make the end of the anniversary celebration. So two potentially e-ticket rides, both, I mean, look like they're going to be amazing. Tron Light Cycles, of course, is a replica of what's in Shanghai Disney. And everybody's just kind of waiting. And and Disney, I think, is waiting to see what, you know, what happens with crowds and COVID and public health and all of that. And then just construction and probably supply chain too. Yeah. I mean, to make a prediction, Tron, by the way, Sean, Leslie, I know both of you love the People Mover, but one reason also why nerds like us love the People Mover is because right now you can check like on the People Mover is your best view of how much they've gotten finished on Tron. What's the official name, Sean? Tron Light Cycle Power Run, is it? I thought it was just Tron Light Cycle Run, but it might be Power Run. I might have. Yeah, something like that. Leslie and I are not. Uh, very great with the actual official names but it is really coming along you know i could see it being done by next year and they've also announced that uh the guardians of the galaxy attraction which they're filming the actors roles in it at the same time as they're filming filming i think uh thor 3 right now because the guardians are in thor love and Th- no thor 4 excuse me thor love and thunder so disney has already said cosmic rewind in 2022, so the Guardians of the Galaxy ride. Now, an optimistic view would be that maybe comes out in spring 2022, maybe summer 2022, and then Tron Light Cycle Run comes in October of 2022 for the new fiscal year because the fiscal year starts on October 1st. However, if you're being cynical, maybe they save Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind all the way to October 1st, 2022, and then Tron comes in 2023. So we will see, but we'll see at least one of them next year. And I think everyone, at least um, Disney fandom like ourselves, is crossing our fingers that we'll see both in 2022 before the 50th anniversary is over. But who knows? Because if you think about it logically, they might, since this anniversary is running for 18 months they might wait until the anniversary is over in 2023 to break out tron but we'll see yeah i mean it's exciting though that walt disney world this is the headline is getting two new roller coasters and two really high-tech interesting ones the tron coaster is it's all we know the track is finished it's a much more simpler ride compared to what guardians of the galaxy is they could probably finish it in a couple months um just having been on the one in shanghai it, it there are some intricate sets, but it's not anything that's too complicated, like what they're doing with Guardians of the Galaxy, which is going to be, you know, synced to different videos. You're going to have different scenes as you go through it, kind of like a mixture of a dark ride and a coaster. Um, So that's a much more complicated, I'd say, ride. So it's interesting that that one's going to get done first, or that's what the rumor is. But nonetheless, no, no matter what, you're getting two new coasters at Walt Disney World in the next year or so. And that's, uh, that's exciting. And they're both, I mean, Tron is a fantastic coaster. It, doesn't seem like it should be as good as it is just being a motorbike coaster, which exists in a lot of other amusement parks, but it really is a spectacular experience. And 
uh, one that I've enjoyed every time at Shanghai Disneyland. So definitely something to look forward to at Tomorrowland uh, at uh, the Magic Kingdom. Now, when, are they going to bring the train back? Yes, they have said that they are, or they've implied that they're going to bring the train back in 2022. And speaking for the six-year-old boy who lives in my house, they need to bring that thing back sooner rather than later. Um, the train is just kind of like an iconic part of Disney World. Walt Disney loved uh, trains and the railroad, and they really need to bring that back to the Magic Kingdom. Now, we've talked about the new attractions that hopefully are coming during the 50th anniversary. I mean, Remy's is already open. Um, there are also three new shows We'll start with the, um, I guess, the B-side show, which is Disney Kite Tales, which is, think about it as a Macy's Parade on jet skis, and the floats often crash into the ground on purpose, because that's how they land the floats. Um, so, you know, I I was so bummed that I left, I left the parks early to catch an earlier flight, so I didn't get to see Kite Tales, but my flight got delayed anyway, so I should have stayed to watch Kite Tales. It is, I think, um, Disney fans kind of semi-ironically, but also a little unironically love it. It is definitely the least polished of the new shows that Disney has brought, but people are really enjoying it. It's a lot of fun to watch gigantic floats slash kites crash into the ground uh leslie knows what i'm talking about both of us are this is the one the other two shows are bigger but this is the show that we've been dying to see uh, at animal kingdom it looks really cool it uh it looks like they repurposed some of the the jet skis from the epcot forever show that they had temporarily there um yeah it does look like a lot of fun and it looks exactly like what a disney nerd would like guilty Guilty. So uh, Leslie is beaming. And so, and then there's also two new nighttime spectaculars, which are kind of the more serious offerings of shows that they brought for the 50th. So there's a new show at the Magic Kingdom called Disney Enchantment. And it's just kind of a celebration of a lot of different Disney films and a lot of films that have been under highlighted in the past, like uh, Princess and the Frog, uh, a lot of Moana, which I guess it hasn't been under highlighted, but you know, it's one of the newer films. So there's a lot of that. It's cool because they mix fireworks with projections on the castle and on main street. Um, And so I saw that that was a lot of fun. I would say it does not resonate with me as much as some of the previous magic kingdom fireworks, but also I'm old now, you know, we more emotionally connect to what we see when we're younger. For example, I know that when I bring my kids to go see this, they'll probably, you know, this will become their show. Uh, Happily Ever After was a little bit their show, too, because they love that. But, you know, this is just kind of how the things work and how life cycles work. And the other probably more controversial show is Harmonious. And it's not controversial because it's a bad show. It's actually a really good show. There's a lot of great fireworks. There's a lot of great music. It's in World Showcase, so it's happening in the middle of the lake. There's a lot of exciting things happening. However... And you've probably heard about it on this podcast before. They put these gigantic, people call it the Stargate, which is just all you need to know about how big this thing is. You expect the those gigantic alien monsters from the Avengers to start pouring through this gigantic circle in the middle of the lake at any moment. Um, so there's a Stargate and then four like gigantic screen things. And then they sit in the lake all day. The show is good, but I don't know if it's worth the ugly sight lines all day um, because of it. So, you know, I know, Sean, you have strong opinions on that. And Leslie has some opinions, but not as strong as Sean. Sean hates those things. Well, I do want to say, like, this is a clear move in the way Disney's going, right? They're tying everything to their popular IPs, and they're really distancing themselves away from 
the nostalgia of the parks. And I feel like it's a mistake, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, you talk about Disney Enchantment, you know, the 50th fireworks show, but that's largely just Disney IP, right? In the, in the, you know, in the songs and stuff like that. And that's fine. And it looks fine. I haven't seen it in person, but I remember when Disneyland did their 50th, Remember Dreams Come True, which to me is the best Disney nighttime show ever done. And it's because it played into the nostalgia of the park itself. Unfortunately, I feel like the new Disney is missing out on that. And I think Harmonious is a perfect example of that. Destroy the sight lines of the park to do a somewhat good show. But, you know, we've seen over the last few years with the Olympics and all these beautiful drone shows and things that are significantly more advanced than what we see Disney doing. I don't think that they're really innovating anymore when it comes to this space. They used to be the best at it. And I think Harmonious is an example of really a lack of imagination. Um, But to your point, it's not a terrible show once you see it. But uh, those beautiful views across the lagoon and World Showcase are now gone. What Leslie and I were talking about is this is like nitpicking on a Disney nerd level because either of those shows is better than the July 4th fireworks you see in 99% of towns in the United States of America. So, you know, these are all great shows, but we're comparing it to Disney shows of the past. And I, I agree with what you're saying. I don't actually mind them bringing the IP in, but like at least in the example of Harmonious, you could have done it in a way without, you know, inviting Thanos to come through with his uh, army to kill everybody. Because, I mean, that thing is crazy. You expect it to start spinning and launching into space. So practical advice. I know I've heard that you can't see you know, the Stargate from everywhere. You can't see everything from everywhere. Where is the best place to watch Harmonious in Epcot? So the best place is like right in the middle, which is at where what used to be called Future World connects to World Showcase. Right there in the middle at six o'clock on World Showcase. That's the best place to be. However, that's also the most crowded. I found that if you are over by Mexico, which is just a little bit, you know, that's probably around seven o'clock on the World Showcase Lake. You still get a really good view of the center Stargate and, you know, you can still see the fireworks and you can hear the music everywhere throughout the parks. I would actually suggest if you cannot get a good view of the Stargate, just go wherever and just focus on the fireworks in the air and just don't worry about all the stuff in the middle happening on the lake or even better, go to the tower in Coronado Springs or the tower in the Riviera or something like that. And just watch it from a balcony instead of, you know, dealing with all the crowds in the park. Or just show up one minute before and push your way through everybody to the front and, uh, you know, take your little kid and push them through everybody and say, coming through, coming through. There's always people that, that do that. Uh, (laughs) not me. No, but I'm saying, I mean, just the fact that you're saying that you can't see the entire show from most places in the park. Um, this is a circular lagoon that you can walk all the way around that they designed a show that you can't see from everywhere that you're suggesting to go to hotels to get a good view of it. I think this speaks a lot to to what this show is. And even though you're saying that most, most cities, July 4th fireworks aren't to this level, um, with technology, with these drone shows, I've seen pretty pedestrian shows that are just as technologically advanced as this if you take out those giant barges floating in the middle of the thing. I really think Disney did themselves, they spent a lot of money on something that's not going to last a long time. But that's just me getting nerdy. It's cool for people who haven't been there in a while. They have at least new shows, things they haven't seen um, at three different parks, as you say, and that's always good. Now, speaking of expensive, there's one more thing that we expect to open before (laughs) the 50th opens, and that is the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. Leslie, tell us uh, about what this thing is and how many arms and legs is it going to cost people? 
the price is definitely off the charts. I think, uh, I haven't looked at pricing lately, but I know when it was initially released, like the cheapest thing for a two night stay for two people was well into the $4,000 range. So yeah, I mean, sky's the limit with Galactic Star Cruiser. This is a hotel, but it's more like a Disney cruise on land. You check in at a set time, you check out at a set time, you're with a group of people, the same group of people, Star Wars role-playing and going through different scenes and adventures. So this is really for the Star Wars super fans or I guess people with a lot of disposable income. I don't know whether either of you guys, I know, Joe, you haven't booked anything, but you booked uh, Star Cruiser for some clients. Yeah, I'm really, really curious to see the reviews on this. This opens March 1st, and my understanding is it's pretty booked up for the first several weeks or maybe even months, right? Months, yeah. I think it's booked solid through March and April. I was surprised that so many people are interested. You know, I booked some clients in April for a family of four for two nights, regular room. It was $7,000. The original price that Disney had given was $6,000, but that was at the cheapest. It looks super expensive. I think if they pull off all the stuff that they're thinking about, like you're supposed to be living a star Wars experience. Like people are going to be coming up to you and like asking you, (laughs) I keep wanting to say the spice actually spice is a thing in star Wars, but um, it's Dune spice that I've been thinking about, but people will come up to you and ask you if you're smuggling and stuff like that. It's supposed to be a super immersive experience. I think if they pull that off, it might be worth the price of admission, but I'm not a big LARPer, not a big live action role player myself. I was thinking like, Oh, do I want to, do I want to book this just to try it out? And I was just thinking to myself, like, who would I ask to go with me on this? Like even my nerdiest of friends, I don't know if I could be like, you know, my biggest star Wars friend. I kind of, I didn't um, ask him to go with me, but I kind of hinted. I was like, Oh, that new star Wars hotel. You know, what do you think of that? And he's like, Oh, it sounds okay. So like, I can't even convince my nerd friends to go. Um, So I don't know when I'll be able to check it out, but definitely seems popular enough that uh, people want to do it. So Disney, Maybe they've done their market research on this one and uh, they'll come out ahead. But it is only two nights uh, and it's really less than 48 hours because you check in at like 3 p.m. and you have to check out by 9 a.m. two nights later. It sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun and I'm excited to see what it's like. I'll let other people pay the money first and then if it looks really cool, then maybe I'll still not go, but at least think about it. What about you, Sean? Are you going? Or would you go? Yeah. I mean, for that money, no. First off, the rooms look terrible. Let's just put it this way. They made these military-style rooms, so they're charging you uh, an astronomical amount of money to stay in a subpar hotel hey, room. Hey, good pun. Which, you know, is uh, is Disney's way, right? To charge you a lot of money to stay in a subpar hotel room, as people uh, know. I'm not a huge fan of Disney hotels. But I think it's a unique experience, but that's just too much money uh, in my experience. And I looked at the schedule you know, they're, they're having you, it's not like you're going to the parks either. I mean, you are going to Galaxy's Edge for, for a little bit. You get a ride, each of the rides there. You get to have lunch there, I think. Um, but there's a lot of like question marks on that schedule. And while I think some of those experiences will be cool, I just don't see spending that kind of money. And I'll be interested to see if they can really fill this thing uh, with those uh, rack rates for, for long periods. Obviously, you know, the most obsessed fans are going to go there at the beginning, but uh, will people be paying $4,000 for a couple or $7,000 for a family going forward. Or are we going to see discounts? I would guess we will see discounts hopefully, but still it's a lot of money. I'd rather, I'd rather stay at a, at a, at the new JW Marriott or something, or at the Waldorf Astoria, spend a week in the parks for the same amount of money. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because Disney has been just moving more towards looking for 
higher income clientele overall, which is one of the complaints that a lot of people have about the parks. I mean, the reason, part of the reason why it's getting so expensive is because Disney knows that there are people who are going to pay that much money and go regularly. And part of me wonders with this Galactic Star Cruiser, they of course know that the diehards are going to go first, but are they betting that if they make it good enough for the diehards, they can just change things up every year, like make the cruise different yearly and so that the diehards keep coming back? Then they don't need to attract new customers. They don't need to give discounts because the diehards are just going to keep coming back year after year for a new story uh, if they do that. So that's all kind of um, inside baseball stuff, but stuff that I'd be curious to see. And from uh, just economics and theme park standpoint, interesting to see what Disney does with all that. Yeah, I mean, I think the, they didn't build it too big. There's not a whole ton of rooms in there. So, um, you know, it will be interesting to see. And I know this is an idea that they're considering for other IPs and other locations. So this is really a first test for them to see if this whole, you know, LARP live action role play stuff works. And if this is a new market for them. And we shall see. I mean, it's exciting, though, if you're a Star Wars fan and with uh, and money is no object. Why wouldn't you do it? Um, money is an object. That's, I can yeah, never think people. about money not being an object. So, <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about money being an object, talking about staying on-site versus off-site and how that has changed uh, from before COVID. I know you recently stayed at some third-party on-site hotels, right, Joe? But basically, the, the divide is Disney has their own hotels. Then, uh, obviously, there's a bunch of hotels that are off Disney property you could stay off that's fully off property. And then there are some partner hotels uh, like at Disney Springs and on property that get some other benefits as well. So, you know, how, what is the landscape of staying on site versus off site? What are the calculations going in currently? What benefit do you get staying in a Disney hotel? I mean, the Disney hotels are in general more expensive. And then I think at this point, Leslie, am I wrong? Have we just boiled it down to really there's only one benefit from staying on site? Yeah, at least as of January 1st, 2022, when Magical Express goes away as an on-site benefit, there's only one left, and that is extra park hours in the mornings for pretty much everybody and these on-site hotels, and then in the evenings for folks paying the big bucks at the deluxe hotels. Now, that being said, Leslie and I have, as our podcast has been kind of taking in information about this on-site benefit, which is really only that you get into the parks half an hour earlier. I think, Leslie, this has ended up being more important than we actually thought it was going to be. You know, it sounds like one tiny benefit, but it is it is a much bigger benefit than we thought it was originally. Yeah, we joked when this was released because Disney used to give you extra magic hour in the morning and hours in the evening, and now it's 30 minutes early but it's 30 minutes early in every park every day. So regardless of what park you're going to for the morning, you get in 30 minutes early and you get a jump on one or two of the headliner attractions with almost no wait. And so we were we were skeptical when we heard about this, but it's turned out now with the way park touring strategies go with uh, Genie Plus, which I know we'll talk about in just a little bit, you really can kick off the day on a good foot and get some rides in and then set yourself up for a really successful ride, you know, number of rides in over the course of the day through this. So I'm glad it's it's successful because there aren't any other on-site benefits right now. And, you know, Disney's got to fill those hotels, I guess, if they, they're, I guess they're filling them with just this one benefit. Yeah. And I guess we're being like a little bit unfair because the other on-site benefit is that 
you are in the Disney bubble and you're not going to have to worry about how you get to the Disney parks from an on-site hotel, um, a Disney on-site hotel, because you can take buses or you can take the new Skyliner or monorail or boats. You know, you have different options to get to the parks. Um, and that's kind of where this early theme park entry has become a disadvantage for staying off-site. Like, yes, you save money by staying off-site, but Haley Bach used to always tell me that time is money at Disney World. And it really is. And so not having that half hour, like having to having all these people in the park before you, half an hour before you, really puts you behind for the rest of the day. And then when you also factor in the fact that when you're off-site, it may be harder for you to get to the parks. You might have to rent a car or you might be Ubering more into the parks. Then all of a sudden, those costs do start adding up. And I would say Disney on-site hotels still come out more expensive, but it's not as much of a slam dunk cost-wise as you would think. But like Leslie and I always say, you're going to get much nicer accommodations and possibly much bigger accommodations off-site for the same amount of money as you would get for what you fairly say, Sean, is a mediocre hotel room at Disney World. Well, also, we're talking transportation. I just talked to somebody a couple of days ago who had recently been there and said that the bus waits were 45 minutes or more uh, in the middle of the day consistently um, staying at, I think it was at one of the all-star, or maybe it was Pop Century, staying at one of the, the value resorts. Um, you know, and there are, there is Skyliner, obviously there are other ways to get around, but I I even remember in 2019 staying at all-star sports and having to wait 45 minutes for the bus in the middle of the day. So it's not always so easy to take Disney transportation, even when you're staying on property. Of course, if you're staying at one of the more expensive deluxe hotels, you get better, you know, access because usually your location's a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I I think it's a hard sell. The other thing that you're not speaking of, you're just sort of assuming that people want to get up so early to get to the parks before they open. Um, really Disney is forcing you to do that, uh, which gets exhausting on a trip. And it's always been one of my sort of least favorite things to do, but rope dropping, getting there early is definitely the best way to get a lot of rides in. So it's always that, that balance. But basically if you're going to Disney world now, you got to, and you stand on property, you should get up early every day, right? To maximize that. Yeah. I mean, we've been debating different genie and genie plus strategies. I don't think we've totally come down the best strategies yet but there are ways that you can sleep in like you really do need to build in days to sleep in regardless of whether you're staying on site or off and you know sean i know you know a lot about the newer hotels that are opening but i gotta point out that two of my last three stays i've stayed at the dolphin which is a bonvoy property and in walking distance to two of the parks hollywood studios and epcot and at the dolphin you're treated like a deluxe on-site Disney resort hotel guest. So you get all the benefits of that. And that has really felt like splitting the difference in probably the most economical way. Like I've been paying as much at the Dolphin as I might pay for an on-site Disney moderate resort, but I get more benefits. So my last day notwithstanding, which we had a lot of issues, I had to change rooms. Um, But even with that, you know, I think the Dolphin has become a good value. And for people who are Bonvoy, especially before, uh, when's the switch happening to it becoming fluctuating prices and stuff like that? But like now is not a bad time to use your Bonvoy points to book a Dolphin stay for, um, you know, five nights because you get the fifth night, quote unquote, free or whatever um, before the things change if you're going on a family trip to Disney. Yeah, the location there is is pretty good um, as far as Swan and Dolphin are, are basically right next to the Yacht and Beach Club and the Boardwalk and um, really easy access to both Epcot and Disney's Hollywood Studios. So I think that location is really good. 
And, you know, if you don't care about the theming and you just want a generic Marriott uh, or, or old uh, Sheraton slash Weston, I think it's a great choice. And I've stayed there and it's fine. Now, there are some new things. Uh, JW or Marriott opened up not too long ago. I think maybe right before COVID or, or maybe during early COVID. You know, the Swan Reserve is a new hotel right in that same area, right next to the Swan and Dolphin that uh, just opened. And I've seen mixed reviews of that. The way that hotel was described to me as, you know, there's a lot of conventions in that area. So Swan and Dolphin are sort of the convention hotels for the plebes. And then Swan Reserve is for the executives who come into town. That's what they built it for. Don't blame me. That was sort of the way Disney presented it uh, privately to people. So, uh, you know, when they were marketing this, even though it's not a Disney hotel. So there are a lot of options, though. There's Disney Springs with those Hiltons and, you know, even have Wyndham points you can use there. What are those other properties like like the Bonnet Creek there's a Hilton there's a Waldorf there those Disney Springs properties what are the benefits there right now so they'll have the early theme park entry like you'll get at the other Disney resorts and sometimes that can be worth it even if you have to deal with a different bus situation you really always have to balance kind of like the resort fees and all that. Now, the nice thing about all these Disney partner hotels that are offsite, they're also even the Doubletree by Disney Springs is a partner hotel. The nice thing about that is because their prices are fluid during off-peak times or when there's low demand, which unfortunately is probably not going to happen in 2022, but in the future, you know, when there's low demand, the prices are going to be low enough that it's going to be way worth, you know, booking them over booking on Disney property where you know, whereas Disney property, the prices are, they're pretty much set in stone. You'll get discounts every once in a while, but you don't see the prices change from week to week. So again, for my dolphin stays that I had, I managed to catch them at some point during inventory management where the prices were cheaper. You know, the same room that I booked was like going for $700 a night, you know, two weeks before I got there, but you know, I got it for two fifty a night. I also had an annual pass discount, but you know, so that's the nice thing about normal hotels. You can just if you have the time to check them every day or every week, you can see how the prices are changing and find a price that works for you. Now, my go-to property at Disney offsite is obviously the Hyatt Regency Grand Cypress, which is a property I love a lot. A lot of times it's in the low hundreds during low demand. So the prices are very cheap, uh, but also it's only a category three Hyatt. So 12,000 points when it's even in high demand. Um, it's a beautiful resort. You know, amazing swimming pool, all kinds of, you know, has a lake. You can do all kinds of stuff there. Um, if So if you have World of Hyatt Globalist as, which a lot of people listening probably do, uh, I don't know if the lounge is open. I think the lounge is reopened there, but if not, you're getting breakfast. I've always pretty much gotten a suite every time I'm there. Uh, they've treated me pretty well. So for that, for it's really hard to kind of get me away from there. And it's also, you know, to your point, just a couple of minutes away from Disney Springs and about 10 minute drive to the parks. I can a lot of times... Uh, when I was staying on property, I would compare the experience of driving to the Disney parks from Grand Cypress compared to Disney's bus transportation at the value resorts. And I would almost always get there quicker driving from Grand Cypress than waiting for the bus and dealing with Disney in that way. So um, that's really my go-to off property. But I guess if you really want to maximize the mornings, it's nice to have all those other points options uh, at partner hotels, whether it's Disney Springs, Bonnet Creek, or uh, some of the other on-site uh, miles and points options there. All right, so you guys mentioned Genie Plus and Genie, and a lot of people might not know that the whole system that they were used to uh, uh, from before COVID at Walt Disney World is gone. It's all different, right? They they made it very complicated, I think. They named they have their app, which is Genie, which is, helps you plan. Then they have Genie Plus, which is 
essentially paid fast pass and you know what what the lane became the lightning lane all these different names and confusions and can you guys uh, help explain all this to me because i'm lost I, i've tried i listened to your podcast i've listened to everything and i guess genie plus leslie works kind of similar to how max pass used to work at disneyland right yeah, I mean, I, th- I think folks who have Disneyland experience, this is going to be a lot easier for them, but it's blowing the minds of the Walt Disney World faithful who you know, are used to the FastPass Plus. So rest in peace, FastPass Plus. We have a whole new system to learn. Genie Plus basically, like you said, is paid FastPass. What you do is you buy, you pay $15 per person per day, and then you get to book return times to go through what they call the lightning lane which is just a rebranding of the fast pass line so you're skipping the better part of the standby line you're, you're not immediately walking on like you might at some theme parks where you're paying bigger bucks like at universal or something to skip the line but you get a short line and it's really confusing because disney says things like oh you can book one ride at a time well that's not true <laughs> joe had how many in your account joe this this past week i think three or four uh, regularly if you know how to work the system but there's a lot of rules to how often you can book you can book at least one every 120 minutes so if you're booking one in the morning but you don't get a return time till later in the afternoon you can keep booking other ones and while you wait for the ride that you have booked to to come along. So it's really, really complicated. We just recorded last night, Joe and I did probably a 40-minute episode on the advanced tips and tricks that he discovered while he was there. But this is going to take a big learning curve. And I think the vast majority of Disney guests will never get beyond the beginner stage, which of course, for those of us who are hacker types, you know, this presents a fantastic opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I think cynically, again, like the issue is, People are going to spend $15 per person per day on this, even if they don't do it for every single day of their ticket. And they're really only going to get as much value out of it as they did the old free FastPass system. Now, the reason why I like Genie Plus is because, yes, I have to pay $15, but as I found riding 20 rides in you know less than two days, I can extract a lot more value out of that $15 than I was able to out of the old free fast pass system. But I, I definitely think like people are going to buy this to make their park going experience easier. But if you don't kind of study up, if you're not like ready to be on top of things and be very flexible and creative throughout the day, you're not going to be able to maximize it. Now for people like you, Sean, who you said you didn't really like to plan your fast passes 60 days in advance or 30 days in advance. You didn't really like to plan, you know, where you're going to eat. All that stuff is better now because you can't book your dining until 60 days in advance. And this Genie Plus stuff, you have to book it on the day of. So it's not like you have to know that, oh, I'm going to be on this attraction at 10 a.m. 62 days from now, right? It's not like that anymore. So in that sense, it's better for people who want to plan on the fly. But it's still like a lot of work. And you kind of are going to need someone in your family dedicated to be focused on this to really at least get fair value out of it. Yeah, I think the travel hackers or people listening to this probably are going to want to do Genie Plus, right? I think uh, I think Disney said on their recent earnings call that one-third of people in the early days of Genie Plus bought it, so still two-thirds of the people are not. And if those numbers hold up, um, you really want to be, even though it costs you money, you really want to be ahead of, of everybody else. Um, I remember, you know, Max Pass at Disneyland stacking 
return times kind of similar to what you did. I'm glad that still works. Um, you know, things like taking the kids back to the hotel, but being able to continue to book stuff uh, every couple hours so that when you get back to the park at night, you have a bunch of uh, rides strung together. I mean, is your recommendation, do you think, that pretty much everybody should buy Genie Plus or at least on days that they're planning to really hit the parks hard? I mean, I think this isn't going to fit in everybody's budget every day for sure, especially for families where this is, you know, four and five X, $15. But I think you really do need it for Magic Kingdom days. I think it also has pretty good value for Hollywood Studios days, less so for Epcot and Animal Kingdom, just because there are so few attractions there that really ever have very long waits. So there's another way you can buy your way out of longer lines. There's uh, individual attractions selection lightning lane a couple of really really popular rides are not actually on genie plus you have to pay for them a la carte so like flight of passage in animal kingdom so folks who maybe are really want to ride flight of passage but are happy just sort of taking in the ambiance of animal kingdom maybe should be paying for that and not for genie plus that day it's highest value for genie plus that is in park hopping that's what joe did on his full day that he had at walt disney world started in Epcot, I believe, Joe, and then park hopped to Magic Kingdom and got in, I think, close to 15 attractions because you can only ride each ride once with Genie Plus a day. So you can't go ride one of your favorite roller coasters like Slinky Dog Dash three times. You're one and done. So you get a lot more value to keep moving to another park. And there are also like a lot of other hacks associated with having a park hopper. But again, that's another extra cost that you've added into your vacation to have that park hopper to maximize that Genie Plus. So it's 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 really a situation where, you know, you spend more to get more, but like the more you spend, the more you get. And I mean, this again, um, this is kind of feels like the way Disney is going, um, which hasn't been the greatest, regardless of whether we can hack it well or not. Um, and that's episode 196. Um, for all these advanced tips, which, I mean, Leslie and I, I had to actually use pen and paper to keep track of what was going on because I was, it was just too much editing on my phone. It was just easier. I asked my daughter for like a small notebook to bring to Disney World um, as I was taking notes on all oh the stuff God. that I was trying to do on physical paper with a pen. <laughs> well, thanks for putting in the work. And yeah, definitely going to listen to that to that episode. And it's just a good reminder how Disney has gotten very expensive and um, you know, you're going to be paying for, for everything. And we talked about, you talk about park hopping, but even park hopping is different than it used to be. You can't park hop until two o'clock. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Can't park hop until two o'clock at Disney World. So, you know, this is a big negative for those parks that don't have as much to do like Animal Kingdom and Epcot. You might want to just hit, you know, two or three attractions in the morning and then hop to, for the better part of the day to Magic Kingdom. Can't do that anymore. So, I'm hoping this isn't long for this world. I mean, this doesn't really make sense now that Disney isn't really controlling capacity anymore. I mean, yes, there are park reservations ostensibly, but, you know, the parks feel pretty full on, you know, higher crowd, busy days. So I'm not really sure. This is probably a staffing issue more than anything. And I think once they are able to staff up the parks a little bit more, this will go away. But famous last words. I hope I'm I hope I'm right. Yeah, I mean, you talk about staffing issues. Are the parking trams still not back at Disney World? How do you think I got 80,000 steps, man? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's worse at Disneyland where it's like a mile and a half or a mile or something from the garage. We did that earlier this year, and that's that's brutal at the end of the night, having to walk from the Disneyland gate all the way to the parking garage. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a reminder that things aren't back to normal, even though you know they're they're moving to their their celebrations uh, and everything else. Now, how much do those uh, those Lightning Lane premium attractions cost? Because you know, before obviously you had free Fast Pass, so you buy your ticket and now you get access to the system. Now you have Genie Plus, where you can pay fifteen dollars and get you know a Fast Pass like access to many rides. But as you said, the best rides are sort of carved out of that. So if I want to ride those best rides, what what am I looking at? So right now, the most expensive of those paid lightning lanes is Rise of the Resistance, of course, and it's $15. So that's the max right now. The cheapest one is $7, you know, per person, and you can only do two per day. So I guess, you know, you're looking at something under, you know, around $20 to $25 if you're going to do both of them per person you know, plus $15 per person if you get Genie Plus at the same time. You don't have to get both of them together. I mean, this really does start to to add up. But, I mean, I don't think that $15 is going to be the maximum for much longer. I hate to put that out there into the universe. But Rise of the Resistance is selling out very, very quickly. And we haven't even hit Thanksgiving week, Christmas week. Wait and see what happens there. But they could easily charge 20 or 25 bucks, you know, starting in 2022. And that's what Disney does well, right? They raise prices. We saw when they brought Max Pass in at Disneyland, it was $10 a day, which was so amazing. And we all love that. Then they upped it to 15 And I think they upped it to 20 right? Right before COVID started. So yeah, Disney's going to keep pushing these prices up on everything as they determine it. And it's just not a cheap place to visit anymore. I guess Walt Disney World wasn't a place that you could visit without spending a lot of time on planning. So I guess it's still the same as it was in that way. You really need to know what you're doing going in and you know be prepared for, as Joe said to have the app and to know what's going on but there is a lot of new stuff to see and the park experience Joe is it is it much different than it was before does it still feel like Disney Oh it was pretty great I mean I I know that some of what we've been saying has sound negative but I had a ton of fun on my trip I mean it was just doing research I really enjoyed it I actually went to one of the after hours Christmas parties which was really great and I cannot wait to take my kids back you know I don't think the experience I think at this point you cannot hug the characters but other than that and the train pretty much Disney World is fully operational uh, and it's it's as normal as it's going to get and I think my kids are going to have a great time out we've already been discussing the things that we want to do and I, you know I think the the nice thing is now you have to mentally plan for when you get there but it's not as much pre-planning in the sense that you know where you're going to go so it's a bit in the it's it's a bit in between from what it used to be where like before I would know where I was going to be on every single day, two months before I got to Disney world. Now I know the general framework and I have to do some research and know like what I'm going to do when I get there, but I can still kind of play it by ear um, when I get there. But the experience is still great. I think you're going to have a great time in two weeks when you go and you'll see harmonious, notwithstanding. Um, But uh, I still love the parks. And like I said, Disney knows that a lot of us still love the parks and that's why, you know, they can keep raising the prices because we keep paying it. So in the end, there's only so much I can complain because, you know, I still love to go there. Yeah, it's so true. We do keep paying those prices, Leslie. We're, we're crazy uh, masochists because I do like to complain about all the price increases. But then when I really am honest with myself, you know, maybe I'll go a little less often or not, but I'm still paying those those crazy prices. Yeah, I mean, I guess I have the advantage of being able to write it off, but uh, it doesn't hurt as much as it would for regular folks. But no, I mean, I still am getting so much value out of it. I mean, I think especially 
since the parks have been closed during COVID, we all kind of have a renewed appreciation for just getting to travel anywhere and travel to places that we love. So I was certainly happy to be back, even with all of the hassles that come with that, you know? All right. So closing out Walt Disney World, what are your biggest tips from each of you for navigating Disney World in the post-COVID era in this twenty going into 2022 for the 50th anniversary? What are your top tips? I think my first tip is the tip I always have, which is just don't feel pressure to see everything. Don't fall for the sunk cost fallacy. Yes, the trip is expensive, but once you're there, you kind of need to roll with the punches. And if you don't get on as many attractions as you don't want, like that's fine. Like I was saying earlier, I did a lot of loops around the park where I wasn't riding attractions. Like I rode 20 attractions. I was calculating with Leslie. I could have definitely ridden 25, 26 easily, but I decided not to. I decided to enjoy some of the atmosphere, some of the entertainment that was happening around the park, some of the music. Disney World is, as a theme park is a lot more than just the attractions. And you kind of need to take it a little bit slow and take it a little bit easy to appreciate those things, especially during the 50th when they have other um, random things popping up, whether it be you know cavalcades with them dressed up in their 50th anniversary gear or whatever. So my number one tip is always don't try to do too much. And then the other thing I would say is choose the things that you want to prioritize and make sure that your financial investment goes towards those things. So if you're not prioritizing attractions, don't pay for Genie Plus, you know, pay for a nicer meal, right? Like you can pay for a meal at California Grill, which is super expensive, but then you can watch the fireworks from that balcony, you know, and maybe that's a better investment of your time. Or if you do want to go on the attractions, then pay for that individual lightning lane to go on Flight of Passage or on Rise of the Resistance, you know? So decide what's important for you and your family, and then make sure your financial decisions are in line with that. Because the way Disney really gets our money is when we spend our money on stuff that we really didn't prioritize. Um, and so I think in terms of saving your money, you're, you're going to spend your money no matter what. When you go to Disney World, focus on what you really want to spend your money on. And then you'll end up feeling much better about everything when you're done. What about you, Leslie? Yeah, I mean, I'm always a logistics person. And I think there's still so much value in just doing the work to learn the rules, understand the logistics about how the park is working, how you can, you know, maybe not maximize Genie Plus to the point where you're riding 50 or 15 or 20 rides in a single day, but getting in an extra four or five rides, then it becomes really worth that $15. You know, if you're averaging that out, those only cost you $3 each and you've saved two hours in line with, you know, some grumpy toddlers, that's priceless to me. So I really think it's worth doing your your research. And, you know, some of that is like understanding the transportation system. Like you said, Sean, like it's not so hot at the value resorts, but if you position yourself like Joe did at someplace like the Dolphin, where he could walk to both Epcot and to Hollywood Studios in a pinch, then you can really save yourself a lot of time and, and maximize the money that you're spending. So I, I really do think it makes sense to just continue to do that research. And I mean, that's what folks who are into the travel hacking world do best. So you're well equipped to be able to do that and already be light years ahead of the average Disney guest. And it, the payoff is huge. I mean, the reason we travel hack is it saves us money and you won't be spending money that you don't need to be, to be spending. Instead, you're investing your time. So I'm hearing be proactive because don't, don't just show up to Walt Disney World and expect that you're going to have a great trip unless you put in a little bit of effort in making sure that you you know, know what's going on, know the systems, know the rules. And we all see people there complaining and having a miserable vacation 
because they really didn't know or they don't spend the time. And, um, you know, you could just, it's just standing in line, you'll hear people complain, don't be that person. It's a lot of work, but it's worth it, right? To get that magic in the end, at least for us. I mean, it really is the very least you can do. Yes, our last episode ended up being 40 minutes. But in general, we try to keep our episodes 20 to 25 minutes because in a sense, you know, Disney Decipher, the whole conceit of the whole show was these are cliff notes of stuff you need to know before you go to Disney World. So do your research, whether it's our podcast or another podcast or getting a guidebook, you know, know what you're doing when you get like most of us do not show up to Europe having no idea what we're going to do. Like we look up stuff like what's tipping etiquette. What is, how do the buses work? Do we need to get a rail pass? All that kind of stuff. Disney world is the same. If you think of it, like you're visiting a different country, go into it with that mentality. <laughs> it sounds funny, but it's true. Like you are entering a different world. It is a city unto itself, almost a country unto itself, you know, so go in with that mentality and prep accordingly. And then you will be fine on your trip. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's show. Leslie, where can people find you on social media, your site, uh, if they want to read up more on what uh, all your tips and stuff for Disney? So my site is tripswithtikes.com, T-Y-K-E-S. I am at Trips with Tikes everywhere on the usual social media platforms. And Joe writes a lot of Disney World content for me these days. So I, I focus more on Disneyland and Joe more on Disney World. So you can find us both on on my site as well as, of course, on our podcast, Disney Deciphered. Fun fact, Leslie, Sean, and I all started writing at the same time, and two of the three of us have gigantic websites now. Something I always love to remind myself when I'm going to bed at night. But uh, yeah, you can find me at Azure Flies. You can find, uh, but for the Disney stuff, yeah, check us out, Disney Deciphered. We try to keep it as concise and compact as possible, and hopefully um, we can help you to plan your trip. You know, our motto is for you to save money, time, and stress on your vacation, and we do our best to help you to do that. Totally agree. I, you guys are my go-tos for Disney content, uh, for Disney tips, and I love, I love your show. And I do love the shorter episodes that are more topic-driven so you can you know, experience it uh, really quickly and, and move on to the next topic. And I've always loved that. I've listened to your show basically since the beginning. I remember being on a, a bus in Taiwan many years ago listening to you guys. And uh, definitely recommend everybody out there, if you want to dive in deeper, listen to Disney Deciphered and follow both Joe and Leslie on Twitter as well and various social media. For us, you can find everything we do at milestomemories.com. And uh, don't forget about our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash milestomemories. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much, Leslie, for, for joining us. Good to see you again, Joe. Talk to everybody next time. Oh, 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 oh,